Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. The story of Matt Foley is a tragic one. Uh, Matt was a student at the University of Marquette, uh, and where he played rugby on the, the school team. Uh, but that was probably about the best moments of Matt's life, because after he was there at Marquette, things went downhill. Matt had three failed marriages. He dabbled in drugs. At one point, the only work he could find uh, was living and working as a, a mall Santa. Eventually, uh, because of his lifestyle, because of many things that he had going on in his life, uh, Matt ended up in prison. Uh, After he was released from prison, uh, he decided that he wanted to turn over a new leaf, that things needed to get better, that he wanted uh, to make more of himself. So Matt tried to become a motivational speaker. Unfortunately, uh, the way that he would present himself was not very motivational. And so Matt Foley struggled to find speaking gigs. Uh, He actually ended up on government assistance. And at the lowest point in his life, uh, Matt ended up living in a van down by the river. (laughs) Matt Foley, of course, is the classic Saturday Night Live character played by Chris Farley, who would be brought in to give motivational speeches to children. Only the problem is every time he tried to do it, things would go wrong. Things would always go poorly. And usually something would get broken. But if you sort of tell the story of Matt Foley, if you sort of listen and think about it, it's only funny because it's Chris Farley. And the reason for that is we have as a culture agreed that, that tragic things can't happen to big people, that only comedy happens to them. Imagine if I retold the story of Matt Foley, except instead of Chris Farley, it was somebody that looked like another cast member. All of a sudden you'd go, wow, that is an absolute tragic thing. Uh, one of the things that we have in our culture is we have a, a an epidemic of obesity. And this morning we're going to talk about one of the seven deadly sins, the, the deadly sin of gluttony. And it would be easy for us to go, ah, yes, this is a sin for a very certain subset of people who look a very certain way. That is the way our culture has gone about it. But gluttony is a much bigger problem. This is a much weightier issue. Pun intended. I'm sorry. It's just too easy. It's such a heavy subject. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, gosh, it's bad. I'm so sorry. But even, even these puns can't mask the fact that as a culture, obesity is something that we have, have declared as bad. And on the one hand, that's obviously true that the science sort of backs that up, that the health problems that come along with it are, are bad. But what we've done as a culture, we said it's more than bad, it's actually shameful. And because we have moved it over of not just a, this is a bad health decision, but this is shameful for you to be, our culture has fallen into this mentality where either we live our lives ashamed of the way we look, Or we live our lives obsessed over not falling into a certain category. 
We either fall into shame or we absolutely obsess over every calorie, every carb that goes into our body. But both of them are focusing on our food too much. And our culture does this all the time. Think about the average commercial break during the Super Bowl, right? It was only about a month, month and a half ago. What was it? You would see a commercial for burgers, a commercial for beer, and a commercial for Weight Watchers. (laughs) Probably in that order. And do you know what none of us did? None of us flinched. Everybody went, yeah, yeah, that seems about right. That's about right. That's... Yeah, that's what we need in our culture. Probably need a burger. Probably have a beer afterwards. Probably need to go find some sort of weight loss program to do this. Our culture is obsessed with both health food and fast food. Our culture is obsessed with the way we look. But gluttony is something more. See, it's easy to think of gluttony as an issue that comes from our mouth and our stomach, but in reality, gluttony is something that comes from our heart. And it's something that's been around as long as mankind is. It's something that happened even in the people of Israel. And so I want to read to you a passage that comes from the book of Numbers. If you've ever tried to read the Bible through sort of in a chronological order, Numbers is probably about the time that you start. Maybe stopped. I mean, maybe you powered through Leviticus. Maybe you sort of bootstrapped your way through there. But by the time you got to Numbers, it's tough sledding to be honest. But I want to look at the first nine verses of Numbers chapter 11 uh, together. And if you would stand, and I'm going to read it, and the words will be on the screen as well. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving and the people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, and and its appearance was like that of bedillium. But the people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortals and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 3,000 years ago, but intended for us this morning. You may be seated. See, our problem with gluttony is this. That you and I turn to food and drink and other substances to find the rest and fellowship and joy that we should only be able to find truly in Jesus. You see, what what gluttony is, is gluttony is going to the pantry to look for something to fix the problems in 
my soul. It's me trying to find a food, find a drink, find something else that will make me feel whole, that will make me feel rested, that will bring me joy. And after all, isn't that how it's advertised to us? Do you guys remember the, that Dove used to uh, market these, I think they were called Little Temptations, which first of all, is a spiritual word, right? But let's, let's leave that aside. How did they market them? Look, have you been having a bad day? Did you just finally get the kids to bed? Go to your fridge and get this little chocolate 50 calorie temptation. And it will absolutely make you feel better about everything. You know, in the commercial is the guy or the gal go into the fridge and, and open it up and they kind of stop and they take a bite and all the worries of the world fall off of them. All of their stress goes away. They are not selling you chocolate. They're selling you something that's aimed at your soul. What gluttony is, is not a disorder necessarily of the things that we eat. It's a disorder of your heart and mine. And the disorder shows itself in the way that I go to food to try to fix what's in my heart. Let's let's think about how that works for some of us. For some of us, the way that we use food and drink, and when I say drink, I'm thinking of alcohol in particular, that some of us think that that is what gives us real comfort. That that is the thing that is going to make us feel better. And so for some of us, it is the way that we reward ourselves. For others of us, This is a part of a bigger idea that we think that, oh, my my body doesn't matter. Jesus made me, and one day I'm going to get to go to heaven, and I'm going to get rid of this body. So what I do in this body doesn't really matter. But that's not the story we find in the Bible. The story of the Bible is that we were created to be embodied creatures. And when we get to heaven, we're still going to have bodies. You know how I know? Because when we get to heaven, we're going to eat. And we're going to drink. In fact, that's the first thing that we're going to do in the new heavens and new earth. So we're going to eat and we're going to drink. And so our bodies matter. They're not just a cage. There's something more. But some of us treat them as disposable. As the, the paper straw of our lives. And so for some of us, what we do is we turn to food and drink for comfort. I, you know what? If I just have that little temptation, you, you know what will make me feel good? Just, if I, if I could just have a steak dinner tonight, right? How many times have you said that, right? I had a ter- what, what's for dinner, honey? Oh, I was thinking about making lasagna. You know what? I've had a terrible, stressful day. How about we have steak instead, right? What are we doing? We're using food to give us comfort. What, why? There's even a word to describe this, isn't there? Comfort, food. And yet for some of us, the God that we really serve is comfort. And food is just a means to an end to serve that God. The way, the way Paul describes this is their God is their belly. And so they are, they're driven around. We are driven around, guided by whatever our gut wants. And it's easy to see that sort of gluttony. It's easy to look around and go, oh, I know what that looks like. But there's another type of gluttony. There is a a self-righteous form of gluttony 
that is not their God is their belly, but rather their God is their abs. Because the opposite is true as well. Because when we begin to treat food simply as fuel to do something else, we are making the same obsessive, soul-crushing statements about food. We're just using it in a different way. Some of you guys know what Soylent is, right? And, and, And generationally, this is funny because actually one generation here thinks of Soylent as the the big reveal in a Charlton Heston movie and how it became what it is, is something other entirely. But Soylent is a, for lack of a better word, it's like a health shake. And this health shake provides all of the stuff you need for a meal in this, it has almost the consistency of like uh metamucil or tums or you know just like that that sticky slick grossness but if you drink a bottle of it you've got all the energy you need to get your work done it's incredibly popular in silicon valley because why stop coding to go get a meal when you could just slam a soylent and keep going on it's all the fuel that you need what happens is we can not only use food and drink to serve our God of comfort, but we also use food and drink to serve our God of success. I'm not going to eat another meal today. I need to stay working to get the grade. I need to stay working to make sure that I accomplish all of the things that I need to so that I'm successful. I am only going to eat vegetables. I'm going to eat perfectly clean paleo. Why? Because I'm so afraid of what other people will think of me if I am not the ideal weight. Or I need the affirmation that I'm losing enough weight for that person to love me. And so we chase success. We chase affirmation. We chase power. And we use food as a means to get there. Both the disorder of eating too much to serve our comfort or the disorder of limiting ourselves too much of not being able to enjoy anything come from the same place in our hearts. We are only using food as a means to serve something else, to worship something else. You see, some of you are very quick to point out that the Bible says that your body is a temple and you should be treating it right. Some of you are also very quick to worship the temple and not the God inside of it. So we chase those things. We chase that success. We chase that affirmation. We chase that power, which is something that only Jesus should provide. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I think this would definitely be an odd sermon to walk into. Right? I mean, how many of us has stopped and thought about the way that our food affects our soul? Besides the obvious pun that I won't make there, because I'm better than that at this point in the sermon. But most of us have never stopped and thought of the way that our food affects our soul. Because we've sort of divorced those ideas. Or others of us perhaps focus on it too much. 
right? This is the, the idea behind the Epicureans in Rome, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was the philosophy of both the Epicureans and Dave Matthews' band. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know what that is? That's a very spiritual statement about food, isn't it? I'm going to get everything I can out of this food and this drink and that pleasure because nothing else matters. How many of us, even who are Christians, basically live our lives by that philosophy? Because because that's the way that gluttony works. What gluttony teaches us to do is to forget everything that has come before. It teaches us to ignore everything that's going to come after and to focus on this moment here. Think about the story that we read from the book of Numbers. The people of Israel are in the desert. They have been freed from the people of Egypt. God has miraculously and in some incredible ways brought them out. They have walked across dry ground in the Red Sea. They have been given the Ten Commandments. They have, they have smelled the smoke of the mountain. And now they are marching on towards the promised land, led by a pillar of, of fire and a pillar of cloud. And yet what happens? Some people decide that they are going to rabble rouse. And how do they get the people of Israel thrown off? They said, hey, I know that you've had manna, but all you've had to eat for the past 40 years is manna. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what it was like back in Egypt? Don't you remember the melons? Oh, we had melons. The fish was free. It was free fish every day. And the garlic, right? And because you know, when a recipe says to use um, one teaspoon of garlic, you know that that means one entire clove of garlic. That's, that's how that works. That's how you cook. But they said, oh, the garlic, don't you remember? But what is the very obvious thing that as they, as they reminisce about the good old days in Egypt with all the free fish, with all the free melons, with all the garlic, they could eat. What's the thing that they're low-key forgetting about? Ah, yes, we were slaves. There is that detail. What is happening there? Gluttony. The desire to taste that garlic again. The desire to taste that fish again is absolutely overriding any sort of history in their minds. Any sort of memory of the faithfulness of what God has done in their life. They take it and they sweep it all behind. That doesn't matter because now all I want is garlic fish with leeks and melons. That's what I want. And it doesn't matter what God has done for me. It doesn't matter that God has provided for me. No, all that matters is that I get this. I want this comfort food. Now, it, it would be easy for me to make some, some, some self-deprecating jokes, right, about myself and say, ha ha, look at gluttony. But if I did that, one of the things that I would be doing is ignoring and covering for what actually goes in my heart. Because I am far too much like the people of Israel. I am too quick to decide 
that I don't want to remember how God has been faithful to me. I don't want to reflect on what God is going to do for me in the future. What I want is I've had a hard day, so I'm going to have that extra whiskey. Thank you very much. Because I'm chasing comfort. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm not just going to have that steak, but you know what? I'm going to whip up some Bernays sauce too. Because that would be even tastier. And all that butter will probably make me forget about the hard stuff that I have to deal with tomorrow. And I begin to chase comfort. We begin to chase the genie at the bottom of the bottle that owes us one last wish. And in all of these things, we are just like the people of Israel. We are living for now. And we are not looking at what God has provided for us. Because every day they got manna. Every day they got this, this stuff this, that fell on the ground. And when you, when you ground it up and cooked it, it tasted like cakes. And this case baked with oil. And another passage it says like cakes baked in oil with honey. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about something like a cake baked in oil, covered with honey, except it's incredibly nutritious, what I think about is a somehow nutritional Krispy Kreme donut. It's sweet, it's cooked in oil, and it's a cake, right? All they had to eat for 40 years was Krispy Kremes, and they were incredibly healthy and providing for all of their nutrients. And what did they think? I just had some garlic. If God wouldn't hold out on me, the the people of Egypt were better to me than God is because they gave me fish and they gave me garlic. How many times do we look at God and say, our idols are better for me because they give me fish and they give me garlic. The comfort that I feel is better right now than the comfort that God gives me. The affirmation of those people around me, of my peers, is more important to me than the affirmation that comes from God. So I'm going to not eat today. The success and power that comes from being really, really, really good looking is more than the success and power that I find in Jesus. And so I'm going to chase that. At the end of the day, this isn't a mouth issue, it's a heart issue. This isn't a stomach issue, this is a soul issue. As we've been going through these seven deadly sins, one of the things that we ask ourselves again and again is, what's the opposite? If gluttony is a deadly sin, what is the virtue pointed to by this? And it would be easy for us to go, ah, yes, it's contentment. If I was just content with what I had, everything would be fine. But, but the opposite of gluttony is actually something more. The opposite of gluttony is missional, faith-filled, delayed gratification. Because when does gluttony want food? Now. When does gluttony want abs? Now. When does gluttony want another drink? Now. But the opposite of that is looking with the eyes of faith to something that's coming later. Being missional in the way that we 
eat, thinking about the way that what we eat contributes to justice. Because one of the other ways that the Bible talks about food is always connecting the sumptuousness of what we eat to the poverty of others. How many times do we see stories like the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man had much to eat and Lazarus ate his scraps. How many times is food and justice, is the mission of God tied to what we eat? And what Jesus is calling us to is delayed gratification. Is to say, I'm going to wait to have that. I'm going to wait to another time. I'm going to not chase that idol now. After all, in in so many ways, isn't that what Jesus faced in the the desert? Jesus went out into the desert, just like the people of Israel were in the desert. And he spent 40 days there. They spent 40 years. And after 40 days without eating or drinking, Satan shows up. What's the first thing Satan says to Jesus? Hey, bet you're pretty hungry. And I know you're the son of God. So you could turn those rocks, those ones right there, into some nice, crusty loaves of bread. Why don't you do it, Jesus? What's he, what's he tempting Jesus to do there? What's the temptation? To say right now, this food is more important than anything else. To serve as comfort in that moment. But what does Jesus do? Delays gratification. He waits. He sees what God is doing as something more And look at the cross. If we said that our problem was we turn to food and drinks to find rest and fellowship and joy that only God can provide, what did Jesus do on the cross? He delayed the joy, the connection, and the rest until later. When Jesus was on the cross, he could not rest as he stood awake. He was disconnected not only from us as people, but from his father as he felt the wrath of God on him. As joy was darkened by the sorrow of the wrath of God on our sins. As as Jesus was there on the cross, he was practicing missional, faith-filled, delayed gratification. So that he might win forgiveness for gluttons like you gluttons like me. And so how we begin to live this out, how we begin to live this out, City Church, is we begin to repent, we begin to be open and honest about the way that we have either used food and drink as comfort or the ways that we have used food to attain power and affirmation over others or the way that we have used food simply as fuel to drive the idolatry that we have in success. When we begin to admit that, when we begin to hold ourselves up and say, yes, I have done all of these things probably, we can repent of them. We can repent not just of the gluttony, but of serving comfort, of chasing the affirmation of others, of wanting so badly to be powerful and in control of our lives. But you know what we find when we take those to Jesus in honesty and repentance? We find genuine loving forgiveness. We don't find a God who is glowering, ready to say, I told you so. No, as soon as we make that turn, we find a God who pulls up his robe and runs towards us, excited to have us back. And as he runs towards us, excited to have us back, our hearts begin to learn from his yoke. 
We begin how to learn how to delay our gratification for the sake of others. So that we see the kingdom of God more and more on this earth. Because all of a sudden, I don't have to spend as much on my grocery bill because I don't need the best of everything. I can put down that New York strip and get a piece of sirloin. Our food choices begin to change because we are delaying our gratification for something else later. We are not so rigid in our schedule of exercise that we can't spend time with others. All of a sudden, our God is neither our belly nor our abs, but rather we begin to love others around us. And as we do, something begins to spark inside of us. We begin to catch a glimpse, a vision, just a picture of something that is to come. We begin to see that all of this delayed gratification doesn't find itself fulfilled in just, I'm going to have more money to do something later. No, all of this delayed gratification finds itself fulfilled when you and I sit together. It's the first thing we do in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth. And we sit around the table with Jesus. And he cracks the finest vintage of wine that any of us will ever taste. And he serves the most beautiful of food that any of us could ever imagine as we sit down at the table with him, our host, a table that we have no business at on our own, a table that we don't deserve to be at, a table where we are the guests of honor, not because of the things that we have done, because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. It is a table where every word set around it is grace. It is a table of joy as we see Jesus. It is a table of rest from the work of this life. It is a table of connection, not just to one another, but to Jesus as well. City Church, we anticipate that every time we repent and turn to Jesus and learn delayed gratification anew. May we be excited as we look forward to what Jesus is doing in our hearts now and in the future. Let's pray.